Uh, If you've got a Bible, you might want to turn to Matthew, the book of Matthew, and chapter 5. If you haven't got a Bible, we do have a few spare at the back, and uh, Ellie and Jody have got some to give out. So just raise your hand, and one will come to you. The words will also appear on the screen behind me, um, the key passages that I'm going to be looking at. So if you'd rather look at that, then that is fine. Let's read Matthew chapter 5 from verse 43 to 48. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? And not even the tax collectors doing that. And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. In, uh, in preparing for this message today, um, throughout the week, and especially this morning, I just became more and more aware of just how much there is in just such a small passage. And my notes were getting longer and longer, um, which will encourage some of you and discourage others. And um, <laughs> I, actually, I actually thought, just before I came out, I just thought, actually, I'm preaching next week as well. So I'm going to split my message into two. Um, So those of you who thought I was mainly going to be looking at this passage and what it means to love your enemy, well, that's probably going to be mainly next week now, um, because what I want to preach today is what, until half an hour before I came this morning, was going to be my introduction. (laughs) So you can get a sense of just how long that introduction was going to be at the end of of this morning. I might expand on it a little bit, you never know. Um, But we've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount... For several months now, uh, we've started in, at the start of Matthew 5, been looking at this Sermon on the Mount, and this passage that we read today is the last part of really an expansion of, of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 20, where he says, I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. He says that statement about our righteousness, how how we live our lives, and then he goes and expands on it, and he's been expanding on it in six different statements, really. He's been talking about murder and saying, you've heard it was said, don't murder, but I tell you, anyone who's angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. He then moved on and looked at adultery, and he said, you've heard it was said, don't commit adultery, but I tell you, anyone who even looks lustfully at a woman has committed adultery with her in his heart. And then he talks about divorce and says, um, you know, there's reasons we're given for a divorce. But I tell you, unless anyone divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness, causes her to become an adulteress. The standard is higher. And then he looked at oaths and said, you've heard it was said, don't break your oath. But Jesus is saying, no, don't swear at all. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. Just be honest. Do what you say you will do. Be truthful all the time. And then he was saying about, you've heard it was said, an eye for an eye. Um, get, get revenge on, on people, just uh, only to the extent that they've uh, committed a crime against you. 
But he's saying, look, do, turn the other cheek. If someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone wants you to go one mile, go two miles. And then this week, and this passage here is saying, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate, and hate your enemy. Well, it actually wasn't said, hate your enemy, but that's what people interpreted that as. And he's saying, no, love your enemy. So six statements, six topics that he's looking at, really, which expand on this whole um, verse saying, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And we've been unpacking that a little bit and looking at what that looks like and what it means. And Jesus is setting out here that there is a way of life which is, which is authentic and isn't hypocritical. And it's a life that he's saying we must live as Christians. We must live if we're going to follow Jesus. Now, many of us have struggled and wrestled with these passages. They're not easy to get our heads around. Because there's a, there's a huge mismatch. Every time we come to one of these passages, every time I preach it, I guess every time you hear me preach on this, there's a, there's a battle. Because in our hearts we just think, oh, how do we do that? What standards Jesus has got? What standards God has got for us? Do we really have to live like this? Is this really what Jesus is saying? That this is how we're going to live our lives? This authentic way of life? And in fact, some people say, um, just, this seems like Old Testament law all over again. I thought we were free from the law. I thought we didn't have to follow the rules anymore to be accepted by God. And now that Jesus seems to be saying all this, it just seems... Like Old Testament law. Some people have got around that, actually, by saying, well, actually, you know, Jesus is teaching this, and it comes before the cross. It comes before he's died on the cross. After Jesus had died on the cross, that's when grace and mercy and forgiveness and love abounded. And that's where we are. We're after the cross. We can come to God and know that we're forgiven, that it doesn't matter how we behave because we're acceptable before God. So we don't need to worry about what Jesus was teaching before then. We don't need to worry about it. It's before the cross. It's like the Old Testament law. The Old Testament law came before the cross, and now we don't have to worry. What Jesus is saying to his disciples here, it comes before the cross. We don't have to worry about it. We don't have to teach it. We don't have to obey it. There's a few problems with taking that stance. There's a few major problems. One is what Jesus says in, in the Great Commission, in Matthew 28. Let's turn to that. Matthew 28, this is uh, obviously after the cross. This is after Jesus has died. This is after Jesus has been raised to life. And it's before he ascends to heaven. And he says in Matthew 28... And, uh, and we'll read from verse 16. It says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. You know, that's what God wants of us, isn't it? To worship him. That's what it's all about, really, to worship him. But some doubted. Then Jesus came and said, All authority on, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and I am with you always to the very ends of the age. That's what the commission that he gave his disciples, that's what he's given us, if we are followers and disciples of him, that's what the commission is for us to do. But notice what he says. He doesn't just say, baptize them in the name of the Father and and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He says, and teaching them. Teaching them what? Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Oh, that would be what it says in the rest of the Gospels then. That's what Jesus would have been teaching in his life. That's the Sermon on the Mount. That's some of these hard teachings. And Jesus, after the cross, after resurrection, after his grace and mercy and forgiveness has been poured out on all people, that we're set right with God. And we don't need to be under condemnation anymore. That is where Jesus is saying, and now, teach my disciples. Teach those who would come after me. Teach those who would follow me to obey everything I have taught. In fact, it isn't just Jesus that gives people who say we can disregard the Sermon on the Mount a problem. Paul does as well. Paul, writing to Timothy, says this in 2 Timothy 3.16. This is a very famous uh, passage. 2 Timothy 3.16, Paul says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, people who, people who would say we can disregard the Old Testament, we don't have to worry about the Old Testament, and we don't really have to worry about what Jesus taught in terms of how we live our lives before the cross, they've got a major problem here, because Paul is saying this, and, and they would interpret that as saying, well, we, we teach the Scripture in the Old That's the New Testament, he means. That's what he means in the New Testament. The problem is, as Paul's writing that, there wasn't a New Testament. Paul's referring only to the Old Testament. That's all, he, that's all they have. All scripture is useful. But they didn't have the book of Revelation. They didn't have the Gospels. They'd not got all of Paul's own letters to, to the Romans and, uh, and Ephesians and all the, all the things that we would, we would read and, and get hold of and love to study and and, and, and of course, it's wonderful. We, we love to do that. But we don't get rid of the Old Testament. Because Paul's saying, and the Old Testament. And the Old Testament as well. All Scripture. You see, the misunderstanding of this position, of just saying, well, surely we only have to worry about what, what comes after grace has come, is that there's a misunderstanding of Grace. There's a misunderstanding of what grace is about. There's a misunderstanding that says grace doesn't involve us changing how we live our lives. It says grace says that we're acceptable before God because of the blood of Jesus shed for us. And that's true. We are. We don't come to God and be accepted by God because of anything we do. Because we're not acceptable, because we we sin. All have sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. None of us are righteous. None of us are good enough. None of us can live up to what what Jesus is saying here. Be perfect. 
as your heavenly Father is perfect. We can't. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus did that. And that's how we gain our acceptance before God. And that will not change. Whatever we do, however we, we, we do in terms of success or failure at these, at these commands that Jesus gives, we're accepted before God on the basis of Jesus alone and Jesus' righteousness alone. But it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there. God does want our lives to change. God does want us to teach others as well. He wants us to make disciples. Now, as I've said before, and it's always worth reminding ourselves, Jesus here in this passage and these passages isn't giving us a list of things that we have to do before we can become God's people. In fact, that was never the case. It wasn't even the case in the Old Testament. We can, we can sometimes un- misunderstand the Old Testament, you see. We can sometimes get it into our head that in the Old Testament, the way to be, become God, one of God's people was to try and keep the law. And by trying to keep the law, they could, they could try and work their way up to becoming acceptable before God, to be, to be one of his people. But it was never the case. It was always the case that God won a people and then wanted to see their lives change. Look at the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. You think, well, the Ten Commandments, surely they, surely that's where God is setting out his standards, his righteousness. Yes, it is. But how does he introduce it? We forget how he introduces it so often. This is how he introduces it. Exodus 20. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And then he goes into, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself an idol. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord. Remember the Sabbath. He sets out the Ten Commandments. But how does he start it off? He starts it off by saying, this is who I am. I'm your God. I'm the Lord your God. What have I done in your lives? I've brought you out of Egypt. I've brought you out of slavery. His people were in Egypt, in slavery to the Pharaoh. And through Moses, he came and and he rescued them. He sent plagues on the Egyptians. He brought them out and Pharaoh said, okay, go, go. And then he changed his mind and then they came to the Red Sea and there there was no way across. and, And God parted the waters. And he rescued them, and, it, and he, the waters came back in on, the, on their enemies. He rescued them. He saved them. And he's saying in the Ten Commandments, this is, I've already done this. I've already saved you. You are the people I have saved. And now this is how I would like you to live. And that's what God is saying to us here today. You are the people I have saved. We are the people God has saved. And he's saying, and this, my children, is how I would like you to live. God only outlines what a holy life looks like after he saved us. He saves us first. It's his grace. It's his mercy. It's his choosing of us. Not because we've kept the rules but because he wants us. He's chosen us. He wants to know us. 
It's also worth reminding ourselves, as we come to passages like, um, like this in, in Matthew, about loving our enemies. And, and I felt it was important to speak about this, because we can't just go in and talk about loving enemies. Well, this is what we need to do, this is what we need to do. Because we'll just go, what? It's just getting harder and harder. You know, last time it was, last time it was if someone strikes you on the right cheek, okay, I shouldn't fight back. Okay, I'll let them, I'll let them strike me on my left cheek. Okay, that's, that's kind of one level. And now Jesus is saying, but love your enemies. Love your enemies. And for some people, that includes people who, who've had family members killed, who've had homes taken off them, who've been kicked out of their country. You look at just some of the things going on in the world today, where people are being abused and whole, whole nations, really. Their governments are against them now. And Jesus says, love your enemies. What? How can we do that? So we need to know these, the, some of these background things. We need to know that Jesus isn't saying, actually, these are impossible standards. You know, I'm setting out, this is, this is what righteousness is about. This is what godliness is about, but it's impossible. One of the things that, these, that reading the Ten Commandments, uh, sorry, that the Sermon on the Mount does, is that it does remind us all the time how much we need God. It reminds us that actually we come before, and we say, oh, so this is the standards. You know, I thought I was a good person before now. I thought I was a good person. And then I've come in and read this, and I know, well, I don't match up to that. So, so I know I need God. I know I need God's righteousness. It does do that. But not only that. Because Jesus isn't just saying, you need, you need God. You need God to help you in this. So actually, just come to God. Just trust in, in, in Jesus' death and resurrection. And his blood and his righteousness. And, and then forget about these standards. Because that's all they were for, just to show us we can't keep them. Actually, that's not. That's not all they're for. It is in his righteousness we're clothed with. But we don't just come and live a spiritually lazy life. We don't just come and say, I've got my ticket to heaven now. Jesus has bought me a ticket to heaven. And now I'm going to live my life the way I like and do whatever I want, safe in the knowledge that when I die, I've got my ticket to heaven. That's not what the Christian life is about. That's not what Jesus was talking about when he was talking about making disciples. What Jesus was saying is, if you will come to me and trust in me and receive the power of my kingdom and be cleansed on the inside by the forgiveness and love of God that I offer and bank all your hope on my promises and let my ransoming death cover all your failures and imperfections, then you will be able to live this way. Not perfectly, but powerfully. And your life will be a light to the world that proves that you are children of God. That's what Jesus is saying. You know, in verse 44 of Matthew chapter 5, when Jesus says, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, you can read that, can't you? are saying, okay, if we do that, Jesus, maybe Jesus is saying this, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, and then you will become sons of my Father in heaven. In other words, this is the standard. 
if you pass the test, then you will be sons of my Father in heaven. That's, you could read it like that. But that's not what Jesus meant. That's not what he was saying. What he was saying is, as you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, you will be showing yourself to be sons of your Father in heaven. You'll be proving that that's who you are. The world will look at you and go, wow, how, do you, how does that work? They, they must be sons of their heavenly Father. You prove who you are. You prove that you're a child of God by behaving in the same way that he does. And how does God behave? It goes on to say in verse 45, he loves his enemies. He causes the sun to rise on the good and evil. He causes the rain, sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. There's no difference. God sends the sun and the rain. Everyone has equal, which, as an aside, means that when our young people go off to New Day and there's not really been a lot of rain and the farmers are needing the crops, the rain for the crops, and we're praying, God, we're your children. Make it a sunny week. God's going to go, oh, I send the sun and the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. It's all equal. <laughs> There's not a difference. So, not a lot of point in praying that. <laughs> there was a guy who, uh, who, who was looking at this passage. He, he wrote a little poem. For those of you who are a bit more cultured, might like a bit of poetry. Okay, a bit of poetry coming in here. He said, he wrote this poem. He says, um, The rain, it raineth on the just. And also on the unjust fella, but chiefly on the just, because the unjust steal the just's umbrella. <laughs> it's, all, it's all equal, apart from the unjust, nick the umbrellas. Um, God loves his enemies. There's, there's, this, there's grace, it's called common grace. There's grace which is poured out on good and evil. That's why sometimes you can, look at, you can look at people and you think, well, they're living an evil lifestyle. They're not living a godly lifestyle. And they seem to be doing okay. Well, yeah, because God pours out common grace. He's showing love to his enemies. Ultimately, they will be judged, as we all will, on the day of judgment. But that's been kind of staved off for now. And for now, God is pouring out love on those he knows on the good and the evil. He's loving his enemies. And Jesus is saying, you do the same. Because you're children of your heavenly father. And I want you to behave like children of your father. I want you to have the same characteristics. Like father, like son. If we have God as our heavenly father and his spirit living in us, we have the character of God. And God pours out blessings on those he loves, who love him, and those who don't love him, on his enemies. Jesus has already described God as our Father in heaven in Matthew 16, Matthew 5, 16. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see the good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So it's people will glorify God, our Father, when they see our good deeds, because it's God who's giving us the power to do it. It's not that we're good in ourselves, it's God who's giving us that power. 
It's God who's given us the ability to love our enemies. And so when we shine that light, people will see what we do and they'll glorify, not us. They won't say, you're great. Isn't that a good person? Aren't they, aren't they wonderful? They'll glorify God, our Father, because they'll see where it comes from. Matthew 7 spells it out as well, and obviously we'll come to this in the months ahead. But Matthew 7, uh, from verse 7, ask, seek, and knock it. And this is a passage we often read and, and don't get the last bit. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Um, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If then you know, if then, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? We often stop there and we think, you know, we'll ask God for the good things that we want. And give it, he'll give us good gifts. He'll give us the Holy Spirit. He won't turn us down for that. Yeah, that's true. How does Jesus finish that off? So, in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Okay, I thought this was about us getting gifts from God. And then suddenly he's going, so, do to other people how they do to you. All right, it's about how I act with someone. It's about loving my enemy. All right, okay. You're bringing us back to that, are you, Jesus? Yeah, he is. He's saying, I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. I'm giving you the power. If you know me, just ask me. I'll give you everything you need to live this life that I'm asking you to live. You're coming to me and saying, it's too hard. I can't do it. I can't love my enemy. And God's saying, I know you can't on your own, but come to me, ask me. I'll give you my Holy Spirit. And then you'll be able to. That's what he's saying. I'm your father. I'll pour out these good gifts. Our ability to live this life rests entirely on God, our Father, giving us the power to do it. And we've heard this morning what John brought, I thought was, was great, because he was, he was, God was speaking to us about how he's our Father, how he comes to us as a loving Father, how we've been chosen specifically, how we're loved, and how we belong to each other and belong to him. And the effects are seen in our relationships with each other. That's what he was saying. And let's remind ourselves this morning, we can't earn our way into being children of God. We can't, we can be born as children of God. We can be adopted into being children of God, which we have been. But we can't earn our way into it. Let me give you an example in, in human life. No one can try to be my son or daughter through their own effort. Sorry to disappoint you. <laughs> but no one, no one can try to, to, to be that. You know, our kids are in that position no matter what they do. Actually, it doesn't matter how they behave. They're still our kids. They're still my son and daughter. And so they can behave terribly, but they're still my son and daughter. We say that to them. Sometimes when we're praying for them, I think we, we got this off um, PJ Smythe. When we, often when we pray for them, we'll, we'll say, you know, we love you when you're good. We love you when you're naughty. We love you all the time. We're always going to love them because they're our sons and daughters. And they, and they, 
They don't, have to, they don't have to impress us. They don't have to achieve something to us to make the standard because that's just who they are. We, we actually adopted them. We adopted them. But not because they impressed us. We didn't sort of, you know, do an interview. Who are we going to adopt? Oh, yeah, you've passed. Ah. We adopted them. They were chosen. And sometimes, though, but that doesn't mean that they, they can just behave how they want. You'll know this if you're a parent. You, you, don't, just, you just, don't just say, we love you, kids, so you can do whatever you like. That, that, it doesn't work like that. And sometimes, um, Ellie and Joshua say, well, why, why can these other kids that we see um, act in a different way than we're allowed to? How come they can do that? Do you get that as a parent? How come they can do that and we can't? And the answer is, they're not my kids. They're not my kids. And it can sound like a bit of a trite answer, but it's a serious answer. Because we have different standards to other parents. Um, Not to say that we're better than any other parents particularly, but we've got different standards. Actually, because, because we know God, our standards probably are different to many other parents. Um... Now, in the past, maybe, for example, with foster carers, because we adopted our kids, maybe our own kids used to do things that we wouldn't let them do now. Maybe they watched certain TV programs that we we wouldn't let them watch that now because we wouldn't think it was helpful to them. So if they said to us, yeah, but we used to do that, we used to watch this, what's the answer? Well, I wasn't your father then. I wasn't your father then, but I am now. There's different standards because I am their father. And there's different standards for us because God is our father. We we did other things before we knew God. Before God was our father, we might have lived in a very different way. And God's saying to us, well, that's not the case now because now I'm your father. Now I'm your father. So I might be setting up these standards for my kids. Different, different, different standards. A new way to live. But I'm not setting them up to fail. I don't want to set them up to fail. I don't want to say this is too hard. I'm going to, as a father, as a loving father, I want to do everything I can to help them to live their lives, to live up to who they are. And often that will involve encouraging them, Um, Sometimes it will mean disciplining them. Hopefully, it will always mean giving them a way to be able to do it. Giving them the means to do it. Elliot had a friend over once um, to tea. Um, (laughs) Once is probably all he's coming. No. (laughs) No, She had a friend over (laughs) for tea. And uh, he he just didn't eat his food at all. You know, he he was one of these kids... You know, he gets his, uh, we had to cook the meal, the only meal that he likes in the whole world, fish and chips, fish fingers and chips. And um, so we cooked this meal for him, and then he sat there, and he didn't eat it, and he's messing about with it, and he's, oh, I don't want it, and he's, and I just thought, oh, dear. But I didn't make him eat it. I didn't make him eat it. And, uh, and Joshua said to me afterwards, why didn't you make him eat it? Because <laughs> he knows what I'm like with him. 
So he's probably sitting there, and as this kid was kicking off, he's probably just thinking, I know what's coming now. <laughs> and then it didn't. He was confused. He's off. <laughs> he was confused. Why didn't you make him do it? Because I'm not his father. Because I'm not his father. You know, the blessings of the food went to everyone. They went to my kids, and they went to other, other people's kids. But the discipleship and the training was just for my kids. It's just for my kids. It wasn't my place to do that with him. And ultimately, it's for my kids because I love them. I love them. As Christians, we don't draw our standards of righteousness from the world. We get them from our Heavenly Father. The world will say, it's all right, you can behave in this way, it doesn't matter. And we can get into the way of thinking of it, it doesn't matter, because God's our Father and He loves us and accepts us, so we can do what He wants. But a loving Father doesn't let His kids do what they want. He doesn't. He just doesn't. He wants the best for them. And he wants us to live up to being children of God. And he gives us the power to do it. And he encourages us, as he's encouraged us this morning. And he gives us the power of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes he disciplines us as well. Because he loves us. That's what Hebrews says. The Lord disciplines the ones he loves. It tells us that we are his children. It tells us that we are his children. You know, God isn't everyone's father. God is everyone's God. Well, they might not know it, but God is God for everyone. doesn't change. He's still God. God is a holy and righteous God for everyone who he pours his blessings out on. He sends the sun. He sends the rain. He's God. He decides. He does it. But he's not everyone's father. He's not everyone's father. If we say to God, God, why do others in the world get away and live lives like that? And we see this going on and I don't understand it. And it doesn't, they don't seem to be being punished. And God would say, I'm not their father. I'm not their father. I'm God. But I'm not their father. Now he, people may come to know God as father... And we, and we pray that they will. And we share God's love with them. And we love our enemies in order to show God's love. In order that they might come to know him and be children of God. But at the moment, they're not his father. He's not their father. So we can do it. But we need God. God wants us to change. He'll help us to change. We come to him as little children, Matthew, sorry, Mark 10 and verse 15. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, anyone who won't receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. That's how we come to God. We come to God like little children. We come to God as his children, with him as our father. Other, other places, Jesus talks about coming to him as, as though we're sick, as those who are sick. And in need of a doctor, that's Mark 2.17. But we come to him as children. He's our loving father. Let's draw close to him. 
knowing we're accepted by him, knowing we're chosen by him. And we know that as we do draw close to him, he will pour out his love and forgiveness into our lives. He will give us the gift of his Holy Spirit, who will give us power from within to live lives which are impossible to live for those who've never known God's love. And he'll use us in living lives of love to draw others to him too. So he can adopt them into his family and become their father in heaven too. Let's come to him, our loving heavenly father, and say, God, change us. Give us the power to live out a godly and righteous and holy life. Let's pray.